Sometimes a driver comes along who amazes everyone straight out of the gate. Sometimes a driver comes along who races with such poise and confidence that you would have thought they'd been racing for decades. Someone who takes the sporting world by storm and whose story captivates everyone. In 2007, someone did come along. Someone who wowed everyone by having the bollocks to take it to their much more experienced peers and prove that he was not only on their level, but that he was better than them. In the years since, this man has established himself as one of the most talented drivers in Formula 1 history and will likely go down as one of the best of all time. He continues to break records and provide us all with moments of genius. This is his story so far. I'm Rob Manifield, and welcome to F1 Everything, Episode 2, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton, born January 7th, 1985 in Stevenage, England, grew up in a working-class family with separated parents who had to work extremely hard to provide him with the tools to succeed. It is reported that Lewis's father, Anthony, gave Lewis a remote-controlled car in 1991, and that is what gave him that first taste of racing. He would actually go on to win the British Radio Car Association Championship the following year, racing against fully grown adults. As a result of this, his father bought him his first go-kart as a Christmas present at the age of six. He said that he would support his son's racing career, providing Lewis worked hard in school, but this caused a lot of financial problems for the family. Anthony would work up to three jobs all at once to fund his son's karting, while still managing to find the time to attend all of his son's races. Lewis began karting at the age of eight in 1993, and was immediately successful, winning races and championships. At the age of ten, he approached McLaren boss Ron Dennis for an autograph at the 1995 Autosport Awards. He went up to Ron and said, Hi. I'm Lewis Hamilton. I won the British Championship, and one day, I want to be racing your cars. Ron wrote the following in his autograph book. Phone me in nine years and we'll sort something out then. As Lewis continued to progress and win more championships, Ron Dennis would actually call him in 1998 and sign him to a deal with the McLaren Driver Development Programme. This contract included an option for a future Formula One race seat, which would result in Lewis becoming the youngest ever driver to secure himself a contract, which would be later result in an F1 drive. Lewis continued to impress and win championship after championship, and became European champion in 2000 with maximum points. During a lot of his karting career, he would be the teammate of Nico Rosberg, someone who will be featured later on in the episode. At one point, Lewis would race against Michael Schumacher in a go-karting race, a race that did also feature Nico Rosberg, and whilst Lewis would only finish 7th, Schumacher was quick to praise the Brit, stating that he was a quality driver. Now, that is high praise, I'm sure you'll agree. In 2001, Lewis would take part in the British Formula Renault Winter Series, and would finish 5th in the standings securing himself a full-time drive in the 2002 Formula Renault UK series, 
where he would finish third overall. He would win the championship the following year and would race in Formula 3, where he wasn't quite as successful by his high standards. In fact, after one particular crash, he was hospitalised. But Lewis being Lewis would still show flashes of speed and true potential. In 2004, he raced in the Formula 3 Euro Series and the Williams F1 team tried to sign him for the future, but engine supplier BMW refused to fund his racing career, resulting in Lewis continuing his affiliation with McLaren and he would test one of their Formula 1 cars for the first time at Silverstone in 2004. In 2005, Lewis would dominate the Euro Series, winning 15 out of 20 races, and he was featured in Autosport's Top 50 Drivers of 2005, ranking in at number 24. In 2006, Lewis Hamilton would race in GP2 and show just how good he was to clinch that championship at his first attempt. During the sprint race at Silverstone on the Sunday morning of the race, Lewis amazed both the live crowd, pundits and team personnel alike with a stunning overtaking move heading into the Maggot and Beckett complex, going free wide into the corners and coming out on top. He would then have one of the absolute best drives of 2006 by anyone in racing at the Istanbul Park in Turkey, but after an early spin that dropped him to 18th place, he fought valiantly and finished an incredible second. At the end of the year, he was signed by McLaren to partner world champion Fernando Alonso for 2007. In doing so, he became the first black driver to ever race in Formula 1, which is crazy when you think about it. This is where it all began for the young lad from Stevenage. Lewis's arrival into F1 was not without its issues. He would have an enormous shunt during winter testing at Valencia, but he arrived in Australia with a point to prove. Just because he was partnering Fernando Alonso didn't mean he was going to make it easy for him. He qualified fourth on his debut and amazingly jumped his teammate off the line and entered the first corner in second place behind Kimi Raikkonen in the Ferrari. He finished third on his debut, which was one of the best results by a debuting driver F1 had ever seen. He would go on to secure a podium place at the opening nine races of his Formula 1 career and would drive perfectly in Canada to secure both his first pole position and his first race win. It was the sort of performance that drivers five times more experienced could only dream of and he made it look easy. He would then beat Fernando Alonso in a straight fight in the last Formula 1 race to be held at the fabled Indianapolis Motor Speedway, making a huge statement in the process. At one stage, Fernando swerved over to the pit wall to express his frustration with the team. At what, I'm not quite sure. The Spaniard was um, temperamental that year, let's put it that way. At Silverstone, Lewis arrived as a new national treasure and had the undying support of the British people that weekend. Trust me, I was there. I remember being sat in the grandstand opposite the pits during qualifying and accidentally hitting my dad in the head with excitement as I leapt out of my seat as Kimi went quickest. Roughly 30 seconds later, Lewis appeared on the big screen and was up to, was, he was up on Raikkonen's time in the second sector. 
The entire grandstand waited with bated breath for Lewis to come round. Up the gears coming out of Luffield, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. The crowd was screaming, pleading for his lap time to be quicker than Kimmy's. And it was. Not by much, but Lewis had secured pole, and the crowd went absolutely batshit mental with delight. I'm a Ferrari fan, through and through. But I still think back to this moment and get goosebumps. It was a moment in time I will never forget. It was one of those moments where you just had to be there. Lewis would finish third in the race the next day, and Kimi won. So as a Ferrari fan, I had the last lap in the end. But it was just... It's something that, as a fan of F1, you don't forget those moments. Lewis would have his moment at home next year, which I will discuss shortly. Lewis's podium streak ended at the Nürburgring after a balmy race, which saw his McLaren getting lifted into the air after getting placed back onto the soaked track, and Lewis was able to continue after going off. This was after Lewis suffered from a high-speed crash in the Schumacher S, a flat-out uphill left and right set of corners, which resulted in Lewis being sent to hospital during the qualifying session. In qualifying at the next race in Hungary, Lewis and Fernando Alonso's relationship officially fell apart for the world to see. Lewis was instructed to let Fernando through so he could go for a flying lap, but Lewis refused. In retaliation... Fernando sat in his pit box for much longer than expected, preventing Lewis from going for a second run. The pundits knew what was happening immediately, and the fans, and even Ron Dennis, was outraged. Alonso was relegated to sixth on the grid for his actions, and Lewis inherited pole and won the race. Lewis by this point was leading the championship and looked the favourite to win it. He would take an incredible win at the Japanese Grand Prix at Fuji in awful conditions and would go to China with the title there for the taking, a nation expected, but when ultimately not broken. During the wet-dry race, where being on the right tyre compound was critical, Lewis waited too late to change tyres and on his way into the pits got his McLaren stuck in the gravel trap. As far as I know, it was the only gravel trap in a pit entry in the sports at the time, and Lewis had managed to find it. Despite his desperate attempts to get the car out of the gravel, his race was run, and it was his first retirement from a Formula 1 Grand Prix. Talk about picking your moments. He still went to Brazil, the final race of the season with the championship lead, three points ahead of Fernando Alonso and seven points ahead of Ferrari's Kimi Raikkonen, who, bear in mind, heading into the penultimate race in China, was 17 points behind Lewis Hamilton. As the race got underway, Lewis found himself dropping down the order and early on, his McLaren would suffer from technical issues, dropping him to the back of the field. He and the team frantically tried to find an immediate fix, and they got one, and Lewis started his fight back. But he could only finish 7th, and he lost the championship by one point to Kimi Raikkonen. Lewis handled this loss exceptionally well, and had established himself already as one of the finest drivers in the sport in only his first season. As far as rookie seasons go, it's one of the best. 
He had become a new global sporting superstar in the process. People loved the story of this young rookie coming in and taking the fight immediately to the best drivers in the world, and a lot of the time, beating them. Lewis's arrival into F1 also brought in a whole new generation of fans. If 2007 was what brought those fans in, 2008 is what kept those fans around. Lewis would enter 2008 no longer the rookie looking to prove a point. Lewis now had to deliver. He didn't have the easiest time of it, and Ferrari were once again McLaren's title rivals. Things were much better in terms of inner team atmosphere at McLaren, however, as Fernando Alonso had left and gone back to Renault, and Lewis was now matched up against young Finnish driver Heike Kovalainen, who was also entering his second season. Lewis would win his first Monaco Grand Prix in wet conditions after early contact with a barrier, which caused him to suffer from a puncture. It was a Senna-esque drive. That's the phrase that was thrown around a lot at this point in his career. The hype was real. He would then make a highly embarrassing mistake during the Canadian Grand Prix, where he hit a stationary Kimi Raikkonen at the pit exit, where there was a red light. The people now questioning him, asking if he was a bit overrated, Lewis went to Silverstone, desperate to put on a good performance for the home crowd. He qualified only fourth, but jumped up the second off the line and passed his teammate into Stowe for the lead early on. Raikkonen was quickly on his tail, and the two battled hard in difficult conditions. Then those difficult conditions became practically monsoon conditions. Trust me, I was there at Silverstone that day, sat at Bridge Corner and out in the open, and it was ridiculously wet. Whilst everyone struggled with the weather, Felipe Massa, for example, famously spun five times in this race alone, Lewis drove in impeccably and won the race by over a minute. It's a drive which people immediately compared with Senna's drive at Donington in 1993, and rightly so. It was truly a masterclass. And Lewis became a hero to many right there and then. It is without a doubt the best drive I have ever seen in person. Lewis, as expected, went into the latter stages of the year very much in the championship battle. Only this time, he was battling Felipe Massa in the Ferrari, who had come along strong in the second half of the year. As the season went to Brazil, Lewis led the way again, but Felipe was on fire and secured pole position. In the race, Lewis had to fight tooth and nail in tricky conditions, with the expectations of a nation on his shoulders. If Massa won the race, Lewis only needed fifth to secure the title. But as the race reached its climax, it started to rain. Most died for the pits to change tyres, including Lewis, but he struggled even more in these slippery conditions, resulting in Sebastian Vettel and the Toro Rosso, demoting him to sixth. It looked like it was all over. The only driver that could change things now was Timo Glock in the Toyota, who hadn't changed tyres. If the rain was to stop, it would favour Glock, and Lewis would not be able to catch him. 
meaning he'd miss out on the title again. Flashbacks to the previous year started to kick in for many. Entering the last lap, Massa had a massive lead and Lewis had it all to do. Vettel wasn't catchable. Lewis had to now rely on the misfortune of others. Through sector one, nothing. Glock was nowhere in sight. Through the twisty second sector, Lewis still fought, trying desperately to catch the Toyota. In the meantime, Massa across the line, sending Sao Paulo into fits of hysterics. He had done everything he needed to do. He just had to wait. As Lewis entered the final sector, a flash of red and white appeared, moving slowly towards the final proper corner on the circuit Junkau before the final blast up the hill towards the flag. Is that clock? Is that clock? It was clock! Lewis passed the Toyota and confusion reigned. Through all the carnage, no one was quite sure where Lewis was in the race standings. He crossed the line and it was confirmed that he had finished fifth. At just 23 years of age, Lewis Hamilton from Stevenage was the world champion. And as a Ferrari fan, my heart sank and a part of me died. Seeing the Ferrari mechanics and Massa's family realise that they'd lost is heartbreaking. But I don't think a world championship will be decided in more dramatic circumstances than that ever again. It was something out of a Hollywood blockbuster. Britain had their first world champion in 12 years, and his name was Lewis Hamilton. Now, the next few seasons of Lewis's career are, let's just say, not as remarkable as his first two. So I will give a brief description of all of them before moving on to 2014. You would have thought that 2009 would be much the same, but big technical regulation changes hurt both Ferrari and McLaren, leading the way for Red Bull and the newly formed Braun GP to take victory after victory. And Lewis had to fight really hard just to score points. In Australia, Lewis qualified 18th, but finished an amazing third on the road. But during a dispute over overtaking under safety car conditions, he was disqualified for providing misleading evidence into what had happened. A PR nightmare for Lewis and for the team, and he greatly considered quitting the sport right there and then because of what had happened. The member of the McLaren team that had instructed Lewis to give this certain piece of information was quickly sacked. Or he quit, whichever. He wasn't there anymore. McLaren would finally upgrade the car enough to allow Lewis the chance to win races in the second half of the year, and he would do so in Hungary and Singapore. But aside from that, 2009 was a year to forget. In 2010, newly crowned world champion Jensen Button arrived at Woking. Both would be in the title hunt heading into the end of the season, albeit as outsiders. But neither man was successful. Sebastian Vettel would break Lewis Hamilton's record for being the youngest world champion. The two would have several wins... They would have a fantastic one-on-one -on -one scrap at Istanbul Park. But that 
wasn't really the best year for Lewis again. 2011 wasn't much better. Lewis would show moments of erratic behaviour and questionable driving choices alongside those usual moments of brilliance that we had gotten used to. His win in China, for example, was outstanding. But, for example, he would have a torrid race in Monaco and engage in on-and-off track exchanges with Felipe Massa throughout the year. It was almost like both drivers were magnetically attracted to one another throughout the year. In 2012, McLaren had arguably the fastest car. Maybe this was Lewis's best chance to win a second world title. But that car failed on him where it mattered most. For example, in Singapore, he was leading comfortably, only for the car to break down, which, in the end, cost him his shot at the championship. In a shocking twist, Lewis announced that he was leaving McLaren for the struggling Mercedes team for 2013 and beyond, replacing the retiring Michael Schumacher. People initially saw this merely as a money move and considered, considering just how much Mercedes was struggling at the time, that this was potentially career suicide for Lewis. Well, look how that turned out. Twenty thirteen was all about the team's development heading into twenty fourteen, where the biggest shakeup in the technical regulations in years was going to take place, most notably the switch from V eight engines to V six hybrid power units. There were some highlights throughout the year though. Lewis would amazingly take pole position for the British Grand Prix and lead the way early on until a rear tire failure dropped into the back. To be fair, Half the field suffered from the same issue, pretty much anyway. He would win his first race for the team in Hungary. Being the first British driver to win a Grand Prix for a works Mercedes team since the Sterling Moss back in 1955. But in a year where Sebastian Vettel completely dominated proceedings, it was hard to expect much more from him, Rosberg and the team. 2014, however, was where things changed. And Lewis, Rosberg and Mercedes became the dominant forces in Formula One. It was immediately obvious that the Mercedes V05 hybrid was head and shoulders above the rest of the field. It was lightning quick. It had managed to get everything just right. I suspect it was his focus on the 2014 car that attracted Lewis to the team in the first place. And the money, let's not forget the incredible salary he was getting from the switch. In Bahrain, Lewis and Nico had one of the most breathless, exciting, prolonged on-track battles in Formula One history. Both men gave it everything. It was incredible to behold. There's a reason why many consider this race to be the finest of the modern era. Go and find it. Go find it on YouTube or something. It is amazing. Lewis won that race which really sparked the rivalry between himself and Rosberg. The former best friend's relationship slowly started to fall apart as they battled for the championship. In Monaco, Nico made a questionable error in his bid to secure pole position, forcing him to take to the escape road. From that moment, it was clear that the honeymoon was over. Lewis 
would have a difficult race. At one point, he would actually have a bit of grit in his eye. Not exactly ideal when you're trying to navigate the narrow streets of Monte Carlo. In Belgium, the two would actually make contact on the second lap of the race, dropping Lewis to the back of the field, and Nico finished second, and Lewis retired. Both drivers committed the most unpardonable of all sins by hitting each other. It would not be the only time they would do so as teammates. Throughout the year, Lewis and Nico would exchange wins off each other, and come Abu Dhabi, the championship decider, it was a shootout between Rosberg and Hamilton with double points at stake. The advantage went to Rosberg in qualifying as he secured pole position, but Lewis jumped them off the line and went on to have an easy race at the front, whilst Rosberg hit reliability problems, dropping him down the order. Lewis crossed the line to secure his second world championship. Prince Harry would describe Lewis as a legend on the team radio, and quite frankly, he had become one. Whilst not my favourite driver in F1 by any stretch, I have massive respect for him, and he, as he is just so damn good. It was almost as if a huge weight had been lifted from Lewis's shoulders. It had taken long enough, but he was world champion once again. 2015 would be much the same for Lewis, with him and Nico fighting for the title, and he would have the title wrapped up with three races to spare after a cracking race in Austin, Texas to win his third world championship. The season wasn't without its issues though. Whilst leading the Monaco Grand Prix, Mercedes made an almighty cock-up by calling him in for new tyres under safety car conditions later in the race, dropping him to third, and despite the fresh rubber, he was unable to pass Rosberg and Vettel. Despite the setback of a third world title, Lewis had cemented himself as one of the all-time greats in F1, equaling his hero Ayrton Senna's record. By this point, he had become the most successful British F1 driver of all time. While somewhat of a polarising figure, he had very much confirmed that he was one of the premier sportsmen in the United Kingdom. However, in 2016, Nico had that little bit extra across the length of the season and would take the World Championship in Abu Dhabi before announcing his shock retirement. This was the year where the two Mercedes boys actually hit each other and crashed out of the Spanish Grand Prix, a moment which we all knew was coming. In Abu Dhabi, Lewis tried every trick in the book to back Nico up into his rivals, and despite the team telling him to pick up the pace, Lewis refused. It was a valiant effort. I can't blame him for it. You have to imagine, heading into the 2017 season, that he is highly motivated to get that fourth world title. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Lewis Hamilton's career up to this point. He is undeniably one of the best F1 drivers of all time, and he currently lies second in the all-time number of race wins list, with 53 at the time of writing. He does have a fair way to go to match and or beat Michael Schumacher's record. It seems unlikely, but you never know. But whilst Lewis does have a rapid, passionate global fan base, he isn't liked by everyone. Like I said in the Ayrton Senna episode, I won't express my personal views all too often on the podcast, as the goal of F1 Everything is to give you, yes, you the listener, an impartial look at F1, well, as much as I can be impartial anyway. So what I did 
is open up the floor to my friends on Facebook by asking for their opinions on Lewis Hamilton in a sentence or two. I'll read some of them out now and I'll incorporate some of my own thoughts on him around these statements. Sound good? Okay then, here are the best responses. Elaine Davis, we'll start with Elaine, writes, Arrogant, obnoxious, no regard for the majority of fans. Say it how it is, Elaine. Joshua Pemberton, he says, All of the talent in the world, none of the compassion. Uh, James Daniel says, as naturally talented as they come, with a will to win, which often comes across as petulant, but he doesn't get his way, but only due to the high standards he sets himself. Ben Fox writes, one of the most natural and skilled drivers in F1 history, but with the personality that makes you want to stick rusty nails in your eyes. Sorry, in your ears, misread that. Beautiful image either way, Ben, thanks for that one. And as you can see here, there's a pattern forming. This is my opinions. The guy is supremely talented, incredibly quick, one of the most naturally gifted drivers of his generation. Some of the things he says in the media and the way he betrays himself at times just leaves so much to be desired. I mean, one example I'll give, for example, his latest one, would be from Malaysia last year. The car broke down. He was upset. You can understand he was upset. But then he essentially turned around to the media and said that someone in the team doesn't want him to win all but implying that the team are sabotaging him. And bear in mind that some of the less intelligent members of his fan base already kind of think that's a thing that's taking place. It was just really perpetual and he didn't need to say that. It's these little moments which really annoy me. The moments where the race doesn't go his way, he just looks like a slapped ass on the podium. It's just... And, and one of an old example for me, one that it's a personal one for me as well... Um, in 2008, he got overtaken by Felipe Massa around the outside of the first corner of the Hungara ring. And then his response to that was to basically dismiss that move against him by saying, I never get overtaken around the outside. Then what happened in the race? He got overtaken around the outside by Kimi Raikkonen at Spa, one-handed. That's kind of all, those are my opinions really, kind of summarised in, in a few sentences. I mean, I don't want to go on and on. You know, either way, really, because I do think the guy is a phenomenal racing driver, but just childish as hell. With a, mm, I don't know. I'll leave it to you to decide, but that's essentially my thoughts on the guy. Great driver. That's just, that's the important bit, I guess. A final few opinions here. Rob Squire says, as gifted as they come, but without the likability factor. Paul Manifield. Um, the surname sounds familiar. He's actually my old man. How you doing? Writes the following. He's a three times world champion, fulfilling his potential and doing it in a true tradition of a real racing driver. The modern day James Hunt. Well, I guess, you know, with the drinking, he has crashed his Pagani Sonda at three in the morning. And, you know, there was no drink involved, apparently. I, well, don't believe that one. But like I said, not giving opinions. This final one by Leif Lagerwall. Lagerwall? I'm going to go with Lagerwall, because I like Lager. So, Leif, if that's not his pronunciation of your surname, I do apologise. But this one, I think, really sums up Lewis to a T. And it's this. Think how Flintoff summed up Peterson. Bloody arrogant and cocky batsman with no team spirit, but still one of the best cricketers you'd want on your team. I would sum Lewis up the same. Bloody arrogant and cocky racing driver with no team spirit, 
but still one of the best racing drivers you'd want driving on your team. Now I'm not a cricket person, so I'll have to take your word on Peterson, but in my opinion that is absolutely spot on. Thank you all very much for your comments. I'm sure to, I will run this feature again in coming episodes. I got some really good responses and then some people who didn't quite understand the request for a sentence and replied with one word. Thanks. But I really do appreciate it. Joking aside, I do appreciate it. Doing my research for this episode and writing over 4,000 words hasn't changed my overall opinion on the man but it has absolutely confirmed in my mind just how good Lewis is. From the moment he arrived in Formula 1 10 years ago, man do I feel old, he has been a force to be reckoned with. Behind the wheel, he's got an insane amount of talent. He's fast and consistent, and as time's gone on, he's only gotten better and better. If he's on pole position for a race... He automatically goes in as the favourite to win it, and only a handful of drivers have ever had that ability. His story, starting from his days racing remote control cars to winning three Formula One World Championships so far, is an incredible success story. And the best part of it is, he's still got time left to add to this impressive list of accomplishments. Who knows how many race wins he'll retire with down the line, or how many championships. And as much as some of us don't especially like him for his personality, there is no doubt that he is one of the reasons why we tune in. Because much like Ayrton Senna, for example, you know that there's a chance you're about to witness something epic. Lewis Hamilton is Britain's greatest driver of all time. And when he does eventually stop, the sport will be worse off without him. Enjoy watching him while you can, folks. I sense we have even more amazing moments ahead of us. This episode of F1 Everything was written and created by me, Rob. Thank you so much to everyone, to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud so far. Make sure to leave a rating or a review and follow the show on Twitter at F1 double underscore everything to be updated with what episodes are coming next. Also, enjoy the new season, everyone. I'm Rob Manifield, and I'll see you around the next corner.